Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Happy Monday. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast after a weekend of footballing action more nail-biting than a night at Paul Scholes' place. On today's podcast, <laughs> there is a load to go into. <laughs> you like that, Marley? That was a good one. <laughs> enjoyed that. <laughs> There's a load to go into today, including the breaking news that Nuno Espirito Santo has been sacked by Tottenham Hotspur. 72 days to appoint him, 124 days to sack him. He has been handed his P45 by Daniel Levy and a managerial spell that felt doomed from the start is finally over. We're going to talk more about that shortly and what is next for Spurs. We're also going to look ahead to Wolves versus Everton as the pressure mounts on Rafa Benitez in Liverpool and we'll wrap up today's podcast with a bit of a look at the back page of the papers as we start to get those transfer rumours warmed up ahead of the window opening in January. On today's podcast I've got Marley, you've already heard from. How are you doing Marley? Uh, yeah good, not too bad yeah. Got Niall as well, you okay Niall? I'm very well thanks, I'm just kind of in awe at how funny Marley found that Paul Scholes joke. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good one, that. You've got to remember it's Jim as well. So, you know, you get, everything gets like amplified by, by five. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and as joining us as a fourth wheel on today's podcast, for the first section at least, uh, we've got Sports Social's Owen, who happens to be a Tottenham Hotspur fan. How are you doing, Owen? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. The most northern... <laughs> Tottenham Hotspurs fan ever. How <laughs> north is North London? Uh, let's talk about Nuno at Spurs, though. We had a feeling that by the time we recorded today's podcast, he might have been gone. It's actually been confirmed in just the last few minutes that he will be leaving Tottenham Hotspurs. One of the questions I was going to ask Marley was, do Tottenham need to actually take action now before he was sacked? Because I was looking at the table going... They're in eighth. Yeah, they've had an embarrassing result against Manchester United at the weekend. They went down 3-0. But actually, they're not doing too badly. So did it feel like this was crisis point for Spurs? Um, The performance on um, Saturday night was was shocking, to be fair. Um, And I think that's what it's sort of come down to. You know, the the results, you know, five five wins and five defeats from 10 Premier League games isn't the worst. But... A club like Spurs, who want to be in the top six, shouldn't be losing five of the first ten. Mm. Like, realistically, title winners win uh, lose five games all season, at, at maximum, really. So if you're talking, if you want to finish top six, you you're gonna lose maybe eight or nine, and they're already halfway. Then we're only ten games in. So if you if you go by that, you know, time time is running out, and I don't think they ever wanted Nuno. I don't think he was ever first choice. I think he was the best of of what was left. Um, Kind of like when you know you, the lights going at nightclub and you think friggin' hell, what's what's left here? <laughs> <laughs> like all the good ones have turned me down at, at half eleven and twelve o'clock, and you get to two o'clock and you just get the munters left on the dance floor, and that's that's <laughs> that's what it is. And they just appointed him and were like, well, he's cheap and he'll he'll just say yes to everything, and you know he might have a go, something might work, and it, it just hasn't, and that's that's all it is. So um, yeah. It's just one of them, isn't it? You know, he's he's came in, now he's gone. But now they're talking about Conte, and it's like, well, if you can get him now, why haven't you, why haven't you got him ten games ago? Mm. Why haven't you got him at the start of the season and in a transfer window when he can come in, you know, run through everyone on the training ground, demand everything of them, sort everything out, and and succeed? But you know, it's typical Spurs, really, isn't it? What do you expect, Owen, as the Spurs fan? 
in the room. What did you expect Spurs to do this season and how have they fallen short? Because I've got to be honest, I look at that Tottenham squad, I look at them in eighth and as Marley said, kind of, if you look at it just based on results, it isn't terrible. But I'm not sure the expectations should be that much higher than what they're achieving, given the players they have on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. I think an eighth place finish would, would be good for us this season, to be honest. The, the squad, I, I believe that anyone who comes in won't be able to get like an amazing tune out of the players we've got because we've got we've got Kane who's just not interested it seems this season at all. Um, Son's obviously there, um, but then you go to the back and we've got like Eric Dyer. Who's getting a tune out of Eric Dyer? I don't think any manager in the world would be able to do that to be honest. Um, I think I, I'm not sure that we we had an amazing expectation for for Nuno anyway, but it. We we've we've got minus seven goal difference. We're in eighth, like we're struggling to score, and we're conceding three like every week, pretty mm. much at the minutes. It's been a shambles. I mean, that is kind of one of the problems with the Spurs at the moment. Now is that they are particularly weak defensively. They haven't got the personnel, and they don't seem to have the system either. And you would have expected Nuno Espirito Santo to come in and kind of shore up that defensive line. If they go for Conte. It feels like the right appointment from that point of view because he's a man who will work that defence hard and he will make them hard to break down. But at the same time, are they kind of making the same mistake that they did with Jose Mourinho, making the same mistake they did with Nuno Espirito Santo in terms of bringing in a manager who plays a defensive football that is not what the Tottenham fans expect or want? Well, I'm going to disagree with you on everything you've said there, Jim. (laughs) I totally disagree completely. I I think the problem is not in defence for Tottenham. I think the problem is going forward. Ten Premier League games, they've only scored nine goals. And they've got Son, Harry Kane, Lucas Moura in their squad. I mean, those are players that should be scoring goals on a regular basis. So to score nine goals after ten Premier League games... It's just simply a huge issue. Now, we can talk about Harry Kane, and like Owen says, he doesn't seem interested. Obviously, that move to Manchester City broke down in the summer, and he hasn't been the same player since then. I don't think that's any secret. But to have zero shots on target in the Premier League for the last two hours and 16 minutes of football with those players in your squad, that is unacceptable. They had no shots on target at the weekend against the Manchester United side who have the worst defensive record in terms of form in the Premier League going into that game. They had just conceded five against Liverpool and they were playing a new formation defensively as well. They played three at the back and Tottenham were at home just to add another ingredient into that mix. That is just not on for a Tottenham Hotspur team to not have a single shot on target. No side in the Premier League over the last two seasons has had fewer times in a half of football where they've registered zero shots on target. Now, you're talking about a Tottenham team who, you know, their their motto is to dare is to do. Well, they're not doing anything. Mm. They're not daring to go forward. They're not they're not doing anything. They're just kind of stuck between having possession of the ball and and almost being scared to get into the final third. And when the ball has gone towards Harry Kane, like we've discussed, it's not really come off and he's not really that bothered, it seems like. So for me, that's the huge issue. It's not how are you going to get a tune out of the defence and players like Eric Dyer. It's how are you going to get a tune out of your better players, the best players in the world we're talking about two of, Son and Harry Kane. They conceded two against Newcastle. Three against Manchester United this weekend, three against Arsenal, two against Wolves, three against Chelsea, three against Crystal Palace. Mm -hmm. That was three three against us as well. Was it three against Newcastle? Yeah, it was 3-2 in the end, yeah. It's just 33% of Spurs' goals that came against Newcastle. No, so they conceded two, they scored three. Oh, sorry, conceded. So, I mean, there's problems all over the pitch. Yeah. So, 
So who, who comes in and fixes that? Well, what you were saying about Antonio Conte being a defensive manager, I'm not sure I agree with that because he plays okay. a three at the back system. And I think that that three at the back system is something he kind of stumbled upon at Chelsea, but we've discussed it on the podcast before. When he first went into Chelsea, the first few games, I think he tried a four at the back system. Chelsea weren't playing well at all and they were getting found out pretty quickly. He switched it to a three at the back and he had Azpilicueta, Gary Cahill and David Luiz. And then he had Alonso and Victor Moses as wingbacks. And then Chelsea were just flying from that point on. And since then, in the jobs he's had since then, he's gone into uh, into Milan, and he's played that same system and he stopped Juventus from winning their 10th Scudetto in a row and Inter quite comfortably won the league. Obviously, he had players like Lukaku up front and Martinez, who's very, very good for them as well. Two really excellent forward players. Son and Harry Kane are two very excellent forward players. I would say that if you're talking about Nuno Espirito Santo being a defensive manager and Conte being a defensive manager, I think if you were to choose one which was more attacking than the other, I think that if you asked 100 people who knew the Premier League... 99 of them would say that Antonio Conte was a more aggressive, attacking-minded manager than Nuno Espirito Santo. Mm. Let's not forget Santo was sacked from Wolves because of this style of football. So why did Tottenham employ him in the first place? We know that the pool of available managers is very, very shallow. Maurizio Pochettino in a job at PSG. Now, I think it's fair to say that PSG doesn't exactly showcase how good you are as a manager. Look at Thomas Tuchel, for example, who was considered overrated at PSG, comes to Chelsea makes some title contenders and wins them the Champions League. Maurizio Pochettino might not be at PSG come the end of the season, but he's there at the moment. And actually, in terms of the pool of available managers, which Premier League sides have to pick from, it is really, really shallow. I mean, who's out there? Mm. Who's out there? And the fact that it took Tottenham such a long time to appoint Nuno Espirito Santo and they've sacked him after 124 days just shows that the availability of managers out there is very, very thin. The assumption I'm making is that Daniel Levy has a plan here. You assume so because of the mess he made with the sacking of Jose Mourinho. They got rid of Jose Mourinho before the cup final. You can't tell me that that this football under Santo was any better than what it was under Mourinho. No, it's not, but... It's been no, but, worse. They, they made a change for Mourinho before the cup final and it's backfired on them massively. But I, th- but I think the, the absolute storm that happened when they sat Mourinho and went through seven possibilities before appointing Santos, surely Daniel Levy, who's not an idiot, he's a smart man, will have thought about that scenario when he made this decision and there will already be a replacement lined up for Nuno Espirito Santo. It won't be a case of him going, right, now we've got rid of one manager, let's start looking for another. So whoever the next person is, be it... Conte or whoever else is already lined up and ready to go I think well every, everything's pointing to Conte though like Twitter is just like everyone you sort of trust is is you know like um, what do you, what's the Italian fella called Romano um, and all Sky Italy are all saying it's Conte and it's nearly done yeah, well they were saying that about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being sacked last week and that Conte was ready to take the job so yeah. I, I, I'm not I mean I'm not saying that Fabrizio Romano is wrong here but I'm just saying that like I was saying before the pool of available managers is so thin Conte's the only elite manager out of work no one else is no one else is out of a job Zidane's yeah, out of a job but no one's going to take him are they <laughs> so it's kind of like he's the only one available and mm. he's Italian so the Italian press naturally he's going to have links there so I just I find it I find it interesting this I mean I think that it, 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 if it is Conte, then he's going to need a serious amount of money to spend because he's not going to take the squad playing like that. He's absolutely not going to mm. take it. And 
he's quite a strong personality and he'll come in and he'll say if things need to be changed Antonio Conte will come in and he'll make no bones about it this is not good enough this needs to change and does that conflict with Daniel Levy's style of club management from the top I'm not sure so yeah I mean I'd, ex- I'd be excited to see Antonio Conte back in the Premier League whether that's with Spurs or somewhere else but I just wonder whether does it really matter who the manager is at Tottenham if you've got Daniel Levy, who's the guy who effectively pulls all the strings anyway. And I don't know whether how, how long Conte would last under that sort of leadership. Who knows? Well, Owen, does it make a difference? As a Spurs fan, is it embarrassing to be sitting there talking about another managerial upheaval and the fact that nobody, it would seem, would like the Spurs job if we look at what happened in the previous three months? Um, it doesn't surprise me that no one wants it. Um, I, I read the other day that the, in the 13 years that Enoch of overseeing Tottenham, they've only invested uh, £48 million of their own money, which to a billionaire is, is not a lot. Like The, the purse strings are tight. Um, I believe that Graham Potter didn't want to come to Tottenham because he didn't want to be under Levy's stewardship either. Um, I just... It, it's if, if they really want to be a serious club, they need to invest, obviously, and I just I can't see it. I just can't mm. see it at all. We can keep up to date with the latest news, sport-social.co.uk. We'll have the latest news on whoever is in the running to be the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur there. Before we move on, Marley, last word on this. Nuno Espirito Santo to Newcastle? <laughs> I said that to Owen before. <laughs> I was like, you know what, it, it actually, I wonder if he's in that mix now. Because he will be. He'll be in the mix. He'll be in the, you know, he's only had four months at uh, at Spurs, so he probably wants to get straight back into it. But again, is he is he as... Is he any good, any better than taking a chance on Fonseca or or someone else? I don't, I don't know, but it, it, I'd rather are... not. Like his boring style is not one that I would, you know, welcome. I've seen Newcastle play boring football for I don't know. I'm thirty, so twenty five years. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> except uh, except Keegan um, in when I was five. Um, but other than that, you know, like if you come in and just did the same, I'd be like, oh, for God's sake, because we're not going to get better with him so would he not we, be a potentially good solid. transitional manager because it like when you look at what he did at Wolves he made them solid which is kind of like Newcastle's job at the moment is staying in the Premier League right yeah 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 so if you had a Nuno Espirito Santo coming in for 18 months maybe to be fair it's similar to Wolves isn't it like yeah. Wolves had money coming up he needed to solidify them so but he got he got absolutely. sacked by Wolves because of the football so I poor. They finished seventh twice so. because they were ready for they, making that show. They were ready the minute, for I'd making take that 17th, step up. I don't, I don't care. Put anyone in there. Mm. Put you know anyone as long as you finish somewhere decent and can get an, another manager, you know, in in the future and or or the right manager now. I don't know, but yeah, um, I can't see it. I think I feel like it'll be Fonseca, but mm. I don't. Know, we'll talk about that when it when it comes closer. I suppose. By the way, what you were saying about Conte, it's moving rapidly on Twitter. I mean, it could even be by by the time That's tomorrow, I mean, like, by this yeah. time tomorrow, they could have Conte as their manager, which is which is remarkable. I, I wouldn't have expected them to move that quickly. But as you say, Jim, Daniel Levy's a businessman, and maybe he he already had this in mind from a few weeks ago. Watch this space, sport-social.co.uk for the latest. Right, we're going to preview tonight's game. It's Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Everton, and we'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily Premier League action tonight. It is Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Everton. And I think most of the story here is about Rafa Benitez. He's made a really good start, or had made a really good start at Everton. But results have dropped off a little bit of late. They'll be looking for a win tonight against a Wolves team who haven't been that impressive this season either. Do you feel, Niall, that we know the kind of scenario and the narrative around Benitez coming into Everton was all about his Liverpool past in at the start, and he kind of brushed that off by posting a few good results. But now the results are waning. Do you think the pressure is starting to mount again on Benitez? I think this is always going to be the case. Every time Rafa Benitez hits a sticky patch as Everton manager, he is going to come under pressure. And I think that's just the nature of the way he got the job. And obviously we saw the quite disgusting banners, to be honest, outside of his house. And we've seen them since after Mm. the defeat at Goodison Park a couple of weeks ago and last weekend, um, this weekend, sorry, against Watford. It's sorry, last, wait, what? Last weekend against Watford, (laughs) we saw the banners outside um, outside of Goodison Park. And and some of them are very distasteful, I have to say. But Rafa's got a really thick skin. I don't think that would bother, bother him too much. However, if you look at what we've just been talking about, Tottenham booed off their team at half-time and at full-time against Manchester United and two days later the manager's been sacked. I'm not quite sure that will happen at Everton but it just goes to show that fan unrest and and the viewpoints of fans are taken seriously at a lot of football clubs these days. There's a lot in which they aren't taken very seriously. We won't go into that but I certainly think Everton fans aren't shy of making their opinions known whether that be at Goodison Park, whether that be on social media, whether that be in the away end for instance at Molyneux tonight. I don't think it would be fair for uh, fans to turn on Rafa Benitez after two defeats in a row. The thing is that the, both of those defeats have been at home and Everton were the only unbeaten side in the Premier League up till a couple of weeks ago where they, they got beaten and then obviously last week to concede five to Watford was extremely poor and I think three of those goals came in the last 15 minutes. Everton fell apart. That's not something you associate with a Rafa Benitez side, particularly defensively. They don't tend to fall apart. So... I mean, we talk about pressure. If you don't win football matches as a manager in the Premier League, in the modern climate, you are going to come under pressure. But you add in that extra ingredient of him being a former Liverpool manager and the way that he was kind of linked with the job and eventually took the job. I think that that is obviously going to increase those levels of pressure. But for me, I think Everton should be all right tonight away at Wolves. I fancy them to bounce back. But I do think that naturally, as I said, if you don't win... Premier League football matches as a manager now um, people will be calling for your head and listen Everton made a decent start to the season they're currently ninth on 14 points if they win they could go level with Manchester United and Arsenal in fifth and sixth on 17 points and those are the margins we're talking about in the Premier League at the moment it's been a pretty close start to the season particularly in that mid-table region so yeah I definitely think that if you don't win games you're going to come under pressure and naturally because of the Liverpool links and the way he took the job Rafa's pressure at Everton's going to be further increased and the fact they conceded five goals to a Watford side who a tip to go down that would certainly be a cause for concern but I don't fancy them to uh, to put in a similarly shoddy display tonight I think they'll be all right against Wolves. Putting to one side the Watford result, Marley, which felt like a bit of a freak result, as Niall says, that's not what you expect from a Rafa Benitez side. A lot of their issues for Everton have seemed to have come from the absence of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front. The latter is set to start today for the first time for a few months now, I think. And the former could feature as well as a late fitness test on him. How important will it be to see those two back on the pitch to how Everton do for the rest of the season? 
It's massive. It's it's massive for them because they are their full attacking output, really. You know, if you're going to put crosses in, Calvert Lewin's one of the, one of the best in the league in the air as a as a centre forward. So you're looking at him to to convert the anything that comes into the box. Richarlison can kind of do a job up front, but he's not really a the same type of striker as as Calvert Lewin. So it's um it's something there where everyone else has got a chip in. And to be fair, they have done this season. Townsend and Gray have scored goals. Dakure scored goals as well. He's a big miss at the minute um, for them. So it's um it's but when you, when you're sort of chipping in from other places, it never fully lasts you always need your players back at some point it's always going to run out at some point I think that's what we've seen against Watford to be fair like they they needed to push more players forward to try and overcompensate for the uh, the players they didn't have up front um, and they ended up getting picked off a couple of times by by Ranieri's side who, who did pretty well in the under the circumstances but it's um they yeah they are they are huge for them um but Rafa is defence first, you know, he's he's kinda he'll make you solid, then he'll make you good on the good going forward. And when you haven't got anyone to go forward with with Calvert Lewin and Richarlison missing, you uh you you, you sort of start from two places back mm-hmm. of where you would be. So it's uh, he'll sort it out. It's it's fine. How about Wolves then, Nile? Because they looked nailed on for relegation at the start of the season, but they found a bit of form of late. Ten points from the last four games. Is there evidence that Bruno Large is actually finding his feet and beginning to deliver at Molyneux. In terms of them being nailed on for relegation, in terms of results, definitely at the start of the season. But actually, if you watch those games in isolation and the Wolverhampton Wanderers performances, they were quite unlucky, I thought. Mm. There was a game against Manchester United where I think Mason Greenwood scored and Manchester United got the three points where... You know, Wolves were well in the game for the majority of the game and were probably unlucky not to get any points out of the game. We've seen it um, on other occasions as well at the start of the season where Wolves have actually played all right under Bruno Lage, but they haven't got any results. Now, the problem is if you're playing well and not getting results, that, that can be a concern. But they have picked up a few results in, in recent weeks. I think they, they beat Southampton, didn't they? But in terms of Bruno Lage and whether he's finding his feet as the manager of Wolves... He said something really interesting in the build-up to this game um, via the local newspaper in Wolverhampton. And he said, some of the guys aged 24, 25, 26, they are comfortable with what they have. But for what reason? Why are we on the sofa seeing the other guys play Champions League? Why do they go to the national team and sit on the bench? Why are other guys winning trophies and we are not? I want more and I want to push the club and the players to a different level. He's questioning the hunger there, isn't he, basically? Which, as a, as a player, you'd, you'd think that would motivate a player to push on. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that certainly he's got a point where if you look at the Wolves players, some of them are very, very good. I mean, we've seen how good Adama can be at times. We've seen Ruben Neves, how good he can be. Pedro Neto, obviously injured at the moment, but an unbelievable young player for me in the Premier League. One of the Premier League's best young stars. I was gutted to see him get that injury, which meant he missed the Euros, because I think he would have been really important for Portugal as well. And even players that have moved on from Wolverhampton Wanderers as well. Players like Diogo Jota, who's gone to Liverpool and, and sort of kicked on another level since he's gone to Anfield so Wolves have got decent players the problem is are they too comfortable with being a Premier League side that are just going to stay up I mean they finished seventh twice in a row and then they've struggled the last season or so since then and I just think that maybe Bruno Lage is right maybe there are players there that are just quite happy to be a Premier League player and 
go home, sit on the sofa and watch the Champions League rather than strive to be that Champions League team. And maybe that's something that he needs to address. Maybe that's a Bruno Large problem. Is it not his job to motivate the players? So I thought that quote was really interesting or that bunch of quotes that he gave to the local paper before this game tonight. So, um, so yeah, I think Wolves, if they can get some momentum and they can really sort of forge out a steal that they had under Santo a couple of years ago, then I think they'll be fine this season. I don't think that they'll be playing in European uh, the European competitions. I think they'll be lucky if they even scrape into that Conference League place, to be honest. But I don't think they're one of the three worst teams in the Premier League, not by a long stretch. So I'm interested to see how things go tonight because, you know, Rafa Benitez will have Everton fired up wanting to bounce back from that shambles against Watford last weekend. And Bruno Large has uh, come out pulling no punches, really, when it comes to talking up this game and his players ahead of it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see how this one unfolds, to be honest. Are we just seeing at Wolves right now, Marley? What we see quite often when a team fundamentally changes the way it plays and it brings in a new manager, they've gone from this very solid defensive Nuno Espirito Santo football to a kind of intense... I mean, I don't watch Wolves a great deal, I've got to admit, but as, as I understand, Bruno Large plays in a kind of intense, high-press, very modern style of football that's becoming the vogue in the Premier League at the moment. And that takes time to settle in not just in terms of coaching your new players but also sometimes you just need new personnel and as Marley as Niall says maybe the personnel aren't at Wolverhampton Wanderers at the moment so he needs money he needs transfer windows in order to see that development take hold yeah I think you, you sort of see in the start of it um you know I think they they drew a few games in a row didn't they and uh it was like when you come out of that that first result that isn't a draw is like huge for your team and they managed to win it um, I can't think of it might have been against Leeds or uh, when Jimenez scored that wonder goal. Um, but it's kind of like the the signs are there. Um, but do the players just have to get better? As you say, you know, he's put a style in. They te- they do seem to be more front foot, which as we've mentioned in the first section, it's probably not that hard to be more front foot. Um, but yeah, they they they've got enough talent at their disposal to to be a really decent team. I think they're better in going forward than at the back. Um, players like like Cody and Kilman and you know Ruben uh, Nelson Semedo is not they're not the most amazing defenders but attack wise when Neto comes back um and Pedence is there Pedence is a really clever little player um you've got um Trin Sowers there as well he's he's looking good in patches just needs to find his his form I think um Jimenez is always there Huang's had a really good start um, so you've got plenty there going forward. So once they gel fully with, with the manager's instructions and things like that, it's like, okay, you do it or I'll get someone else because Wolves have got money to spend. They've got one of the richest owners in the Premier League. Mm. If they want to back the, the manager to the hill, then they could do. Um, it's quite it's more than possible. The Chinese consortium that owns them is one of the richest companies in the world. So there's there's money there if they want to spend it. Um it's just a case of you guys have got two months now, or well, yeah, the best part of two months to uh, to do this. Otherwise, I might be forced to go out and get somewhere else. A win for Wolverhampton Wanderers tonight could see him go as high as seventh place, whereas Everton could go up to fifth if they win, above Manchester United, if there's a big swinging goal difference. Uh, we're going to talk transfers next on Football Social Daily as we look at the back pages of the papers. We'll do that next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily is looking at some of the transfer rumours doing the rounds. I can't believe how many newspapers are peddling transfer gossip and rumours at the moment considering how far we are away from the opening of the January transfer window. But we're only we're adding fuel to the fire, basically, aren't we, by talking about it? Okay, for the third podcast in a row, we're going to talk about the gossip doing <laughs> yeah, the rounds. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, everyone loves a bit of transfer gossip, don't they? And it does feel like January is kind of creeping round. Christmas is round the corner, etc., etc. You, you could have used this time to talk about the love trap or whatever it is you're loving at the Well, moment. there's not been any episodes of that since we last spoke about that. Ah, Thursday. We'll good. do it on Thursday instead. <laughs> of Thursday night is on, so we can do it on Friday's podcast. We could, we could have done winners, right, and, okay. winners and losers. But no, we'll do the gossip. Well, the heroes we'll the and gossip. villains. We yeah, could have done so, heroes, yeah, and heroes and villains. villains. Well, we're not. We're going to do transfers instead because <laughs> I felt like if I was going to do heroes and villains, I'd just spend half an hour talking about David Moyes, to be honest with you. So that's <laughs> best off avoiding that. Instead, we're going to talk about Barcelona, who are apparently interested in bringing Donny van der Beek, ending his torrid time he's had at Manchester United. They want him on loan. This is in the Spanish press at the moment. It's been disappointing for... Donny van der Beek at Manchester United Nile. I think for the player and for the fans who expected a lot, why hasn't it worked out? Why is there suddenly... Because it doesn't feel like he's ever going to get that opportunity under Solskjaer for whatever reason that is. So a move does look likely, but are there any signs as to why that's happened? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. And, you know, you can see shots of him on the bench during the games that Manchester United have on TV and there was a particular screen grab that someone put on social media this weekend of him sat next to Jaden Sancho and the caption was almost like I wonder what these two boys are thinking and you know Donny van der Beek was a key component in that Ajax side that reached the semi-finals of the Champions League and eventually got beaten in dramatic fashion by Tottenham and that was the season Tottenham went on to face Liverpool in the final and ultimately lost to Jurgen Klopp's side in, in 2019. And, you know, some of the players that have come out of that side, which was coached by Eric Ten Hag, players like Matisse De Ligt, Hakim Ziyech, Frankie de Jong, all players who have gone on to make big moves. Donny van der Beek has uh, also gone and made a big move to Manchester United for 40 million quid. But he's only played 45 minutes of football this season. It's um, It's staggering. And that was... 45 minutes against young boys in the Champions League on the 14th of September and United lost that game 2-1. And it is quite a, a staggering thing to think that someone who costs 40 million quid, and I know I always I always like to say this on the podcast, I think we get caught up a lot in how much players cost. I think it's irrelevant. I think Donny van der Beek could have cost £14 million and we'd still be having this same debate. He should be playing more games. And I think that whether that's a something that he's not shown in training and the manager doesn't think that he's up to the task or maybe he's behind in the pecking order. You know, for instance, if he's used as a 10, he's not getting in ahead of Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes is better than Donny van der Beek and you'd pick him, you know, 10 times out of 10 to start a game over Donny van der Beek. Jesse Lingard has probably worked his way into that equation as well. So if you're looking at someone to replace Bruno Fernandes off the bench, is Jesse Lingard, after his form at West Ham last season, a better option than Donny van der Beek? I think you could probably argue yes in the last few months. But is that just because we haven't seen much of van der Beek? And now when it comes to the two defensive midfield positions, which Manchester United like to play in the main when they play 4-2-3-1. Obviously, they went to three at the back against Spurs. But just up till that point, two defensive midfield players. It's Fred and McTominay are the favoured two for Solskjaer. And then behind them, Matic. And then probably Paul Pogba, who can play in that role. Donny van der Beek 
Is he wasted in a defensive midfield role? Can he play that role? Probably yes, but where does he lie in the pecking order? And I think that that's a problem that Manchester United probably have with Donny van der Beek. It's where does he fit into the conundrum? Where does he fit into the jigsaw that is Manchester United at the moment? There's been quite a lot of pressure on Manchester United to get those points in the Champions League, particularly after the early loss to Young Boys in that first Champions League group game. The Premier League is obviously a key for Manchester United this season. They want to be title contenders. It hasn't transpired that way at the moment. Does Donny van der Beek get into the starting eleven? I'm not sure. But is he good enough to get a position off the bench and play some substitute minutes? Yes, absolutely he is. So in terms of what's the problem with Donny van der Beek, I'm not sure there is one. I just think the the, the issue that we find ourselves in is that is is maybe something in which he's just not been given the opportunity. And I don't think that means he's a bad player by any stretch. He's probably not really been given the chance to show what he can do. So understandably, he's been linked with a move away. And I think you'll see that on a few more occasions between now and January. There was a letter posted from Edwin van der Sar, who's the director of football at Ajax, when van der Beek was sold from Ajax to Manchester United. And it described him as a special talent in this quite heartfelt letter. And players don't become bad players overnight, Marley. Have we seen any flashes of what Donny van der Beek can do? Because clearly Barcelona uh, have seen something to be interested in bringing him in on loan. And is the reason he's not got that chance, kind of as Niall hinted at, there's so much pressure on Manchester United to perform at the moment that you can't take a risk. You can't give a player that would appear to need a run of games, a run of games to find that form. Well, someone's been on our Twitter feed over the weekend, haven't they? I was like, was that us that posted yeah, it? Yeah, it was us that posted <laughs> it. Oh, yeah, of course well it was. done. Jim paying attention as always. <laughs> oh, yeah, was it us? Yeah. <laughs> Great um, content at the Sports Social on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, he doesn't come become a bad player overnight. I think the the only thing that, that goes against him is um, his best position is, is, is as an eight, similar to Pogba. As in, he needs two guys alongside him to help him in that midfield. That's how he played at Ajax. Um, occasionally played in in the number ten role as well. As Niall said, quite rightly, he's not going to get in in ahead of Bruno Fernandez, and nor should he, because Fernandez is everything that's good about Man United every week. Um, so I think it's probably the, the the formation doesn't quite suit him well. Having said that, Solskjaer said uh, when he signed, you know, he can play. He plays a, a six as an eight. He can play on the left. He can play as a ten. And he he's hasn't not going to play in any of those places. He hasn't, played, yeah, he hasn't played any of those positions at all. Um, so you know, someone's talking rubbish along somewhere along the way. Um, you know, so I don't know whether he wasn't a Solskjaer signing. I don't know whether he thought it was more of a um, a board signing, saying mm. you know we we need to act now because Ajax is selling all the. It's the the, the, the typical summer Ajax fire sale of of this guy is up for, for sale for 40 million. It's good business. Um, and he was sort of pushed on Solskjaer, maybe. I don't know. It seems like that because he hasn't done anything wrong, really. I think when he's been on the pitch, he's looked okay. He's very tidy in possession. Typical Dutch footballer. Um, doesn't give the ball away very often. Um, can create stuff as well. I think he scored in his debut last uh, last season. Um, and he, he made a bright enough start, but sooner or later, he just got, he just got binned off. I don't know what goes on in training, mm. but, you know... As as you say, you know, you, you don't become bad overnight. But Solskjaer doesn't want to give him the the run of games and find out that he's, uh, you know, like trust him to to go to play through the mistakes if he makes any because he's not sharp. But he's not sharp because you've not played him. So it's kind of a problem of your own of your own making, really. Um, and if Barcelona want him, 
you know, as we all know, Barcelona usually play four three three. It's his system. He can he can um, thrive in that. He's got Dutch lads with him. Memphis Depay's there. Luke De Jong's there. Probably not for long. Frankie De Jong's there. Sergino Dest's there. So there's plenty of like Ajax link there as well. So if if um, Xavi comes in and says, right lads, we're playing four three three, and we need a third midfielder alongside Busquets and um, and De Jong, you know, Van der Beek is is potentially available. Um, and that is a way as well of getting some of your transfer fee back if um, if, you, if it all ends up that way. Sticking in Manchester for the time being, but going across the city to Manchester City, there's reports in, again, the Spanish media that Nice and France under 21 Ford, brace yourselves, <laughs> Amini Guri. How's that? Uh, yeah, Guiri, I think it is. Okay. But yeah, that, that's I was going to say, Nigiri is a type of sushi. Not bad. Good effort. <laughs> so he's being targeted by Manchester City as a potential attacking player of Ford, which they are desperately in need of. Now, as you could probably tell from my pronunciation, not a player I'm hugely familiar with. Marley, you're pretty good at your European football. What do you know about this guy? Uh, I know that he's young and promising, and that's a, that's about it, really. Um, <laughs> and he's French, <laughs> and Jim can't pronounce his name. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm just looking at his stats. He's got you know, 12 in 34 last year for Nice, who tend to tend to be kind of a middling French club. Um, six in 11 this year, so he's starting to flourish. He's one of them where. Well, you know, once you do well in France, it's like when do you take that chance? When are you mature enough to go to another league and and smash it, sort of thing? My feeling would be he's a little bit young for Man City at the minute, um, but again, you know, City want the next generation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So as a twenty-one-year-old guy, you know, he can probably they've probably got eyes on him for saying he's developed this fast, this quickly, so uh, this good, this quickly. So let's uh, let's take a chance on him, but. He's doing well. He's doing well in France. Long may it continue. He's, uh, I think he was at Lyon a few years ago. Um, and Nice have sort of took him because Lyon can't produce everything into the first team. There's only obviously so many spots and all the rest of it. So um, I think they took him and he's, he's flourished there. So for me, he's he's not quite like, he's you know, he's, he's done it for a season and a half, basically. So give him a, give him a year or two. And uh, and then maybe revisit him, let him become one of the most sought after players in Europe because Man City can attract them. So why not? Why not let him sort of develop a little bit more? You never quite know whether Manchester City are buying players for their current team or whether they're buying players to potentially bring in transfer revenue in the future, Niall. But here we have a situation with Manchester City where you look at them playing, you see their results, particularly this weekend, and they look like a team who need an outlet. They need a striker at the moment. Can you see them going into January with some money to spend and maybe spending a bit of money on a new player before they're out of the title race, which is a risk? It's a really difficult question to answer. I don't really know a great deal about the inner workings of Manchester City, but I think that last summer they were keen to basically go all in on Grealish and Kane and I think that they were dead keen to sign Harry Kane I just don't think Daniel Levy was playing ball and I think that they put all of their eggs in the Harry Kane basket and unfortunately for them they couldn't get the deal over over the line now I don't think that's Manchester City's fault Um, so I, I think it's fascinating this because with Ferran Torres out for another four to five weeks with a broken foot I mean he 
was looking, even though he's only, what, 22? He might not even be that. He might even be younger. He was looking like he could really fill that void as the striker for Manchester City. And he was playing excellently for Spain in a similar position. I think that he's shown assets and qualities that prove that he could do a job as a number nine for Manchester City. And actually, Jesus playing in a slightly wider role seems to suit him as well. He's played pretty well as well this season. So, you know, this whole talk of Manchester City winning the Premier League or being in a title race without a striker and Pep Guardiola's decision to do that, I don't think that's backfired on them in the sense that they've not been able to win games without a number nine. There's definitely been games in which that they've played where you think, okay, they could have done with a striker there. But Ferran Torres, I think, for, for what it's worth, has filled the gap admirably, more than admirably. But he's injured at the moment. and but They shouldn't be filling gaps, should they? That's not how a team like Manchester United should be approaching a season. They shouldn't be going, oh, well, we'll play Ferran Torres or Jack Grealish or Phil Foden in the attacking role because we haven't got an attacker. I know what you mean. expect them to have a complete squad. I get that, but look how long it's taken Manchester City to replace Fernandinho. Fernandinho's still there. He's been retiring for the last four years and he keeps (laughs) signing a one-year contract because the reason he keeps signing those one-year deals, one, because he's an excellent midfield player and crucial to Manchester City, but two, Pep Guardiola is hell-bent on finding the right replacement. Pep Guardiola despises this idea that you could just sign anyone and hope that they can do an all-right job. Hence why Mm. it took them such a long time to sign Rodri. They have profiles of players at Manchester City in their scouting department and they were waiting for the right moment to sign the right profile of player. And there are a couple of midfield players that City missed out on in order to um, to replace Fernandinho and eventually they settled on Rodri and Fernandinho is still there. I think it's similar with strikers. I don't think Pep Guardiola is content just to sign any old striker and hope that he does a good job. I think he'd rather wait and do it the hard way to make sure he gets the perfect piece to his puzzle. Now, whether that means going into the market in January, which was your initial question, I'm not so sure. I, I just, I, I can't remember the last time City went into the January market and spent big on a striker or a forward player. Maybe I'm wrong. I might be completely missing someone out here, but it tends to be the summer that I think they do the large bulk of their work when it comes to transfers. Can they wait until the summer and then bringing Erling Haaland? Or... You know, are they going to go in and sign someone in January? They've got such good options in the academy as well. Liam Delap is just meant to be this unbelievable striker for the under-23s who hasn't really been given a chance. But it's just one of those where I don't think City will go in in January and sign any old striker. I just don't think that's how they work. I think even if it means it's at the behest of finishing second in the Premier League, I think that they'd rather go into the window in the summer, sign Haaland and next season try and win the lot and I know that that's an interesting philosophy to take when it comes to like you said why would you go into a season when you've got an opportunity to strengthen why wouldn't you do it I just think that for some reason with Pep Guardiola I I feel like he'd rather do it the difficult way just to ensure that he gets what he wants he didn't get it last summer with Kane maybe Haaland fits the profile who knows I kind of I'm inclined to agree with what you're saying there to be honest with you Niall it does seem the way Manchester City do their business is they make season-long plans rather than kind of potentially reacting to how a situation is halfway through the season. Just to pick up the lack of a striker conversation, Marley, I saw this weekend particularly with City losing. Jack Grealish was getting a lot of criticism from some City fans for not scoring goals, for not being able to fill that striker role. Is that fundamentally a little bit unfair? Because He's not that type of player. Phil Foden's not that type of player. The reason a 
team has a striker is because they have a unique ability to score goals. So expecting a midfield player, a creator, just to slot in and fulfil that job, that's unrealistic, isn't it? Yeah, I I think so. Um, I don't think he's doing badly at all, Jack Grealish. I think he's doing what you expect him to. I think he's um, he's never going to be the Grealish at Villa at Man City because you know everything at Villa was just let's get it to Jack and he'll do something and everyone makes their runs for him and stuff like that whereas in the City team he's one of many many players that can hurt you and his role's a little bit different um, and his expectations are a little bit different as well but I've seen, um, I've seen Sam Lee talking about this on Twitter at the weekend and he was saying like he's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of stick but show me any winger that's came in and performed immediately to their best under under Guardiola. It's mm. not something that happens often. Like Mares started pretty slow. Sterling took a little while to get going. Um Leroy Sane probably got there as quick as anybody but then was 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 bumped out pretty quick as soon as he started flirting with uh with Bayern Munich. Um Foden was ne- has never really been a winger but plays on the wing but only, you know, two seasons into his development and and sort of uh into coming into the Man City first team, so I don't think he's doing too badly. To be honest, I, I tend to agree with with what Sam has been saying over the weekend. But um, it, it's just it's just the price tag talking. Mm. Everyone thinks oh, 100 million. He should he should have you know seven or eight goals by now in in the first ten games, and it doesn't really work like that. Like he's he's just like another piece to the puzzle. Um, I think the final piece of the puzzle is probably a, a striker, like you say. But as we the one thing that's that's got me in the last couple of weeks is um, Guardiola when they slapped Brighton four one without a without a striker. Uh, the comment the um, reporter said to him, you know, oh this this strikerless system's working really well and um, it 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 worked really well for you today and you you scored four goals without a striker. How brilliant is that? And Guardiola turned around and said to him, one day we're going to lose a game and you're going to say, do you need a striker? And a week later they lose to Palace and everyone's going, do they need a striker in January? Like oh. Do, you know, would they have been better with a striker? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just going to be that over and over again. Like, they win, they don't need a striker. They they don't win or lose, um, and or they need a striker again. So it's just going to lurch from that until ultimately they do sign one. Whether that's January or not, I'm not sure. I think it'll be the summer, um, and I think it should be Haaland. We'll leave it there. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Back again tomorrow with another podcast where, who knows, we could well be talking about a new manager at Tottenham Hotspurs. It feels like that is moving very fast at the moment. That is it for today's show. Find the latest news, sport-social.co.uk and we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.